Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome to the Heart Over High podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles. This podcast focuses on the goal of providing unique and culturally sensitive perspectives on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health and wellness. Our goal is to provide you with the best millennial and Gen Z health news you can use. If you like this podcast, follow us on Instagram at HOHThePodcast and give us a rating of five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Now, without further delay, let's get started. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Heart Over Hype. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles, and today we're discussing financial freedom and how that can serve as the gateway to a happy and healthy life. To help break this down with us, we have Sharon Epperson, my friend, sister, colleague, and personal finance guru. She's also the senior personal finance correspondent for CNBC. Thanks for being here with us. It's great to be with you. How did you become interested in financial health literacy, and why is it so important to our everyday lives? Well, you know, my one of my oldest memories of what dealing with money with my family was my mom um, sitting at the dining table with her brow furrowed, frowning, <laughs> writing out checks, paying bills. And, you know, I never really understood why she was frowning, but now as a homeowner and as a parent, I kind of understand how much the issue of dealing with money and making sure that and that we make ends meet how really taxing that is how difficult that can be and um and we were you know i I must say my parents made sure that um, my younger sister and i um, were able to do a lot of the things that we wanted to do in terms of activities and go to the college that we wanted to go to and but it took a lot of now as a parent i realized how much sacrifice that took um, and how uh, much organization and discipline with money that took. And I, as I got into the working world um, and I started meeting colleagues who seemed, you know, to be quite financially comfortable in their jobs and, and what, with what they were doing, you know, it was actually colleagues that talked to me about the importance of saving and saving for retirement. When I'm in my 20s, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Why do I need to do this? And, um, and at the time they were saying, you know, listen, this is a, something that you can save automatically with the company. Um, they, it comes right out of your paycheck. It goes into this retirement account. And then the company will actually give you free money um, and match some of the money that you put into it. And I'm like, what, how does that work? Free money, that sounds like a great idea. And that's actually how I started saving, at least long-term saving. Um, and saving for um, for retirement in a 401k plan. But just basic saving and making sure that I had enough money to make ends meet um, and had a little extra cushion was something I grew up kind of learning about without knowing that I was learning about it along the way. So the fact that my mom kept her bills organized by date, you know, in a special little corner um, and that she would sit at that dining table and meticulously make sure bills were paid on time and all of those things um, was just seeing it. It's almost just by osmosis. I kind of got picked up on this is something that I should do. This is something that that I should be aware of. So um, I, th- I think that's kind of how it started. It's it definitely started um, with my mom being very focused on our family's finances, and then from there, me seeing colleagues who 
um, were kind enough to actually tell me a little bit about, you know, how they were saving and they were much older than I was. Um, but I think listening to them early on uh, was very helpful and, and created a discipline in me to be able to save and invest at an at early age. Oftentimes, we don't make a connection between our financial health and our mental, emotional, and physical health. We know that your income largely determines where you live, and where you live is important to your health because it determines access to good schools, quality health care, healthy foods, parks and outdoor areas, as well as proximity to toxic and polluted areas, unsafe neighborhoods, etc. Right? The list goes on and on. Given that finances are a major stressor in our society, and even more so now uh, with the vast unemployment that we're seeing during the pandemic, how can we adequately manage our financial health in light of having little or sometimes no income? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I want to say something that is, you know, people have heard before. And when you don't have a lot of money, it's like I can't <laughs> live any any more below this where I am right now because I want to have certain things like, a, you know, a, just a decent, safe place to live. But living within your means and living slightly below your means at all times is really important. And it's, and it, it may see, it may sound um, callous or, or as if I'm not aware of how difficult it is to just live today for so many people um, and to live somewhere safe. But I think that there are still some people that are, that would put some things, you know, the things that they may have in their, in their apartment, in their home, um, at, at a higher degree than where that location is. So, you know, you, you may not have the furniture you want, you may not have a TV that you want, you may not have just certain things that you, that you think you may need for your house and, or to get to your house, you may not have the car you want. <clears throat> Um, but you're living in a place that's maybe a slightly more than, than you, you know, because you want to be safe and because you want to be somewhere that has good access to good schools and, 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 um, good resources for food and, and, and grocery and shopping and all of these types of things. Um, I just think it's it, at every level, it's just important to understand where you are, how much money do you have at this moment? Um, and how much money should you be putting toward your housing? And just in a ballpark figure, ballpark idea, you know, it should never be, if you can, it should never be more than a quarter or so, maybe a third at the most of what your overall income is. And so some people might be like, do you live in New York? Do you have any sense of how expensive the city, city that I'm living in is to, to get a decent place? And I, and I get that. And I do understand that. And whether that's living with another family, having a roommate, doing these different things that you have to do to make it work. But you have to make sure that you have, that you kind of, um, uh, you know, you, that you have their buckets. I, I, I call them buckets, but you have the different things that you're going to spend your money on. And housing is often one of the biggest expenses that you're ever going to have. But you still have to keep it within a, within a framework that allows you to pay the certain other things that you have to pay to make sure you have groceries and, and to make sure that you have you're able to keep the lights on once you've also done this and you know with your housing expenses and all of those kind of things so um it, it's it's a tough question uh, you know it's it, it's a very tough position for many people but i do think that that i think starting with the idea of i'm going to live within i'm going to make sure that my fa housing and the amount that i'm paying for that fits into this and find the the safest the best 
place to live that I can within that and and how can I make that happen I think that's a really that's an important first step in in financial planning and and for many many people um, and so it's, that's a really good question if you have a steady income how much of your money should you be putting away is there a certain percentage uh, should we be saving some of that for retirement is it ever too early to start thinking about retirement or should we just be saving our money for a rainy day? Uh, there's a lot of questions there, but I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. It's never, ever, 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 ever too early to start saving. Um, I have two teenagers. You know, one of them has had uh, his working paper since he was 14. My, my, my daughter is 15. She has her working papers, too. She hasn't had a part time job yet. But my son has been had part-time jobs, you know, all the way through for the last four years and saves a portion of that money because that discipline has to start early. <clears throat> and, um, and once it does, when other things start to happen, like you do have to pay for your own housing, you do have to pay for your own groceries, you do have to pay, you know, um, uh, all of certain other expenses, you've already learned that you're not going to use that entire paycheck to pay for that. Um, for people who have a stable income, the way, what I like to use is something called the 60% solution to budget. And so um, you look at your gross income and of that gross income, and that's all your income, you know, that's, that, that's the number that that employer tells you you're making. That's not necessarily the number that, uh, that's on the check that you take home, right? So you go by the biggest number <clears throat> and 60% of that goes to your committed expenses and that includes taxes taxes that come out of your pay if you have a home property taxes um, if you are you know whatever your housing expenses are groceries anything that you have to pay every month every week um, your it, it also includes those debts that that you have to pay regularly your credit card debt or your student loan debt all of that goes into that 60%. That's where 60% of your gross income goes. For the other 40%, you break it down this way. 10% goes into long-term savings, and that would be something like a Roth IRA or um, some type of retirement account that you could, uh, if you have a, a, an employer that has a 401k or a 403b, your money could go there. Um, and then you have 10% that goes into um, short-term savings. Um, and that is, again, that's for that kind of, I want to buy a house, I want to buy a car, I want to buy something in the next, you know, few years, um, but you don't want to necessarily invest that money. So that's where that money goes. The other 10% is in building that rainy day fund, that emergency fund, um, that money that you're going to need and make it in cash so that you can get to it at any time if your car breaks down, if something happens and something breaks in your house, something that you have to fix or a medical emergency, that's where that money comes from. And the other 10% is your fund money. That's, you know, there's not much fun to be had some day, you know, some days in this pandemic, you know, you're not going out as much, but the things that you want to do, those like impulse Amazon purchases or whatever it's going to be that you're spending your money on um, at this particular time, that's where that money goes. And keeping your money again in those kind of buckets really kind of helps, I think, um, make sure that you have enough to pay for your day-to-day -day expenses and then also save money. But that 60% number is important, was, was an important one for me to keep in my mind. And I have to admit that 
many times over the years, it's been more like 70% because I do live in the New York area. It's super expensive, but I just need numbers. For me, it's helpful to have different percentages to work with to figure out where I should kind of be putting my money and try to hit that mark. Once you get uh, uh, enough emergency savings and you feel like I'm good there, then that money can go to, to longer term savings. But you got to start somewhere. And I like the 60% solution as one way to do it. Yeah, I really like that 60% solution, although it's probably important to have some wiggle room there based on your cost of living. But if you're a numbers person and you really want to hit that 60% number, uh, especially if you're living in an expensive area like New York or L.A., uh, you may need more income. And that can mean having a very difficult conversation with your boss about a raise. What's the best way to go about doing that? So I think the first step is making sure that you are the strongest possible candidate to get that raise. So documentation is key. You need to you need to keep a record of what you've been working on and how it's been going. So um, when a boss, when a colleague says, you know, sends you an email, thanks for getting that in. We just were able to do X, Y, Z. Something that's more not really that's more than just nice job but nice job and this enabled this to happen, something that you can quantify, you need to keep a record of that. Um, and so, you know, even if you're not seeing, talking to your boss about it every week or maybe even every month, and I, may, I might suggest that you do try to talk every month, um, particularly now when a lot of people are working virtually and it's really important to kind of get those check-ins, have those check-ins with your supervisor, but at least every three months, you're checking in, this is what I've been working on, how do you think it's going? Uh, this is what colleagues and, and, and you know, people that I've been working with has, have said it's going. How do you think it's going? What are your priorities? And, you know, just so make, to make sure that you're meeting the priorities of that department, that boss, that company. Um, and, and, and so there you know that you are, you're doing what you're supposed to do. The other step is to make, if you can have the conversation, and it's not, it's not an easy conversation to have, but finding the right colleagues or the right people in your field, in your industry to get a sense of what they're making and to, so that you have a better sense of what you should be making. Um, that's an important step as well. And, um, and I think the other, the other part is making sure as you're, as you're kind of updating everything that you're working on with your job, updating your LinkedIn profile, making sure that it is always up to date with where you are, what you're doing, making sure that it describes kind of who you are and how you'd like to be seen by the world in terms of, of, of what your work is and, um, and, and your, um, why you're such an asset to a company or an industry, I think is also really important. And I say that part because that gives you the confidence, I'm hoping, that as other people see it, and maybe people may reach out to you if they have jobs, that you know that if something happens, if you make a big ask and it doesn't come through, you have you have built something else to fall back on, kind of, you know, that, that someone else can look at. Um, so those are some of the things that I would do ahead of time in terms of just having that conversation. Um, you know, again, I think it, it starts with this is what I've done for you, you know, and this is why I'm, I'm so appreciative that I've been able to, to accomplish this for the team. And now, like, I, I'd like <laughs> I'd like that to be um, compensated. Um, reflective of what I've done. And, um, and also, and, and, and as you're asking, be mindful of where the company is, be mindful of, you know, are you, are you asking for a raise, 
you know, in the same week or the same month that the company has announced 10% reduction in workforce? Um, or are you asking for that at a time that the company has just released that they're going to do some big initiative and they're put, putting all this money into it? Um, so the timing of it and being really mindful of where your company is and, and, and how it or your organization is and how it's fitting in in the industry, those are all very important things. But the first thing is yourself is, is, is again, I, you know, that's why I love this project that I'm working on and this initiative invest in you. It's investing in yourself and making sure that you are the most marketable, um, the greatest asset that you can be to that company. And just in terms of your, your own career trajectory, you're, you're doing what you want to do as well as you can do it. And um, your company should take notice, your organization should take notice, but if they don't, make sure that you're doing enough um, and you're networking and you know people or you're, get, or you're getting your, your name out there through LinkedIn and other ways on social media so that other people will acknowledge you. We have a question here from one of our listeners, Kira Lewis from Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Kira, thanks for listening. She says that having conversations in the workplace with colleagues or higher-ups is really difficult, but even more so for Black women. Given the racial wealth gap and the history of having to work twice as hard for the same or less than your colleagues, how do we go about securing equal pay and having these tough conversations with our colleagues? Well, I think the conversation just needs to start. She's absolutely right. I mean, we just have been working twice as hard, <clears throat> never talking about it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for, you know, at least I have a job. No one who looks like me has ever had this job, so I guess I should just be happy. And no. We, we shouldn't just be happy. Um, it is a very difficult conversation to have, but finding out how much the white man at the job makes who's doing the exact same thing that you do um, and making sure that there's not that pay equity is really critical. And I think more and more companies are being more transparent about what they're paying and how they're paying people, but many, many are not at all. And I think that employees are just gonna have to push for that transparency to make sure that there is more pay equity but she cares absolutely right that that racial wealth gap and, and pay gap um, is significant and it results in a, in a wealth gap that is even more significant. Um, so we just have to start by making sure that companies are more transparent in what they're doing in terms of pay. Given the new administration's focus on women as leaders, uh, there seems to be renewed positivity that the gender pay gap may finally be closed. Do you think that there is reason for us to be optimistic or at least more optimistic than we have been in the past? You know, I'm going to I'm going to use a quote that I got from a 15 year old that I love dearly because she's my daughter. When I mentioned to her, you know, what were what were her thoughts with the vice president elect having um, as a as a 15 year old black girl teen? You know, how do you feel having a vice president who is a black woman? Um, what do you think about Kamala Harris? And she said, we have to keep fighting. So absolutely, should, we should not be, you know, expecting or anticipating that just because of not just the 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 um, election of uh, a black female vice president of the United States is everything going to be okay. But even on our local elections and our school board elections, and you know, just because there are women in these positions doesn't automatically mean that everyone's going to wake up and get it and understand that there should be. Um, gender equity in um, positions and pay. It's still a fight that must continue when it does not exist as it should in many areas. And so I think what it does is highlight how um, 
how well people can do when making sure that that when they have when the when the opportunity to have those positions is given or is is not given is earned with a lot of hard work um, to get there um, and and but but don't just expect that that person will continue to open many doors for you um, or having that person there will open many doors for you or if it does initially that that will continue it has to. It has to become part of the DNA and part of the fabric of our society, of our companies, of our organizations. And that I don't think has happened in any way yet. That is an incredibly beautiful quote. We have to keep fighting. I will certainly take that with me. I think it's also important for us to think about our finances on both a systems level and an individual level. On the systems level, we have to always uh, think about and have conversations about equal representation at the top. But we also need to think about our finances on the individual level, especially in our interpersonal relationships. As you know, 50% of U.S. marriages ends in divorce. And the number one reason why is concern over money. So my question to you, Sharon, is uh, when should we start talking about uh, finances in our relationships? And is it ever too early to have that conversation? Never too early, I don't think. I mean, I think it gives you a good sense of, you know, the person that you may be considering building a relationship with, what, you know, what they think about many things, because money does impact so many aspects of our lives. Um, and so I think having that conversation or paying, paying close attention to, you know, how um, someone uses their money, how they misuse it, tells you a lot about them. Um, but it also can be an opportunity to share new ways to do it better, things that you might do yourself or might have heard of doing or suggestions that you might have for your partner. But I think it's really important to have those talks. You know, a lot of financial advisors I talk to suggest that you actually have a money date with your partner. Like there's, that there are times that you specifically, that's the purpose, that's what you're gonna talk about. Um, and I don't know if it needs to be that formalized, but there has to be some way that it becomes part of the conversation, not something that you never talk about, because that's detrimental. You must, you must talk about money, it's important. Sharon, you were fortunate enough to have a lot of uh, great role models in your life. So it's no wonder that you're a pro at having tough conversations. At the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you learned how to manage money by watching your mother sort through the bills. Uh, but you also got a crash course on personal finance from your colleagues. Unfortunately, many of us won't uh, be as fortunate. Uh, are there stand-in resources that we can check out to increase our ability to build wealth, especially for those of us who are part of industries where these topics are not uh, commonly discussed? Well, now they're great resources. There are tons of resources. And there were probably resources that I should have been accessing then as well. I should Maybe I should have been reading the Wall Street Journal and the uh, business section of my local paper regularly or paying attention to business news on radio and on television um, as it was starting. But, uh, you know, CNBC wasn't what it is now. Um, back then, certainly, it was just, we're just starting, you know, when I was in college. And, um, and now I think there are a ton of resources out there. And one I would highlight and just, yes, I do work for CNBC, but I also think it's a really, really good way to get some information about um, your finances. And, and we have a whole financial education initiative that we're doing with, at CNBC, but it's called Invest in You. And if you go to cnbc.com slash invest in you, you'll find out more information about this. Um, but this, uh, you know, we talk about 
student loan debt we talk about, credit card debt we talk about, saving for the short term, saving for the long term, um, and also how that getting in that money mindset to make the right kinds of decisions. Um, so there are resources out there, so many resources, you know, on the internet, you know, on social media that you can go to to kind of learn a little bit more about how to manage your money. But it takes the initiative to do it. It takes the, you know, you have to want to find this information. Um, you have to want to sign up for a workshop. How many virtual workshops and things can you do right now in the pandemic about money? Tons of them. But you have to look for them and you have to go to these um, websites and, and, and check on the resources and go to someone's Instagram and look at their Instagram live and, and really see what nuggets you can pull out and learn from because many of us do just we do what we know we do what we see and if we don't if the people around us aren't doing um what they should be doing with their money we're not learning good habits there are so many gems in the catalog of cnbc resources that i use especially to help me manage my student loans which admittedly are the bane of my existence but to end this talk i want you to talk to us a little bit about your work uh, with the Brain Aneurysm Foundation. For those of you who don't know, Sharon is a brain aneurysm survivor, which is incredibly rare. 50% of brain aneurysms are fatal and 90% lead to long-term disability. Clearly that is not the case uh, for Sharon. She is uh, a miracle and a motivating and positive factor in so many lives and continues to inspire me daily. Um, I always look to Sharon for positivity, motivation, uh, and I certainly admire you in everything that you do. Uh, so can you talk to us about your health journey and uh, your work with the Brain Aneurysm Foundation? Well, I, I want to thank you, first of all, for highlighting, you know, and, and, and sharing with NBCNews.com and with so many other sources um, what a brain aneurysm is and why it is so important for particularly people of color to understand um, about this uh, disease that um, impacts, uh, adversely impacts people of color much more than others. Um, and the, there needs to be a lot more research on why that is happening. But the fact that one in 50 people has an aneurysm and often it, nothing you know, goes undetected and they live ha healthy lives for a long time. Uh, but there are still many people that suffer a ruptured aneurysm, which is what I had, where this um, kind of blood vessel in your brain actually explodes, bursts. You have a brain hemorrhage, and it can be, as you said, in, in almost half the cases, fatal um, immediately. Um, the fact that I was able to survive that, the fact that I later learned that um, I'm the fourth generation in my family to suffer from a ruptured brain aneurysm and the only person to survive, um, I realized I'm here for a reason. And that reason is to make sure that I bring awareness, not just about what a brain aneurysm is, but the importance of understanding health, not just financial health, because that had been my career um, before this aneurysm and it continues to be, but your overall health, your mental health, your physical health, and just being aware of where you stand at all times and making sure that you are taking care, the best care that you can of yourself. Um, and I. I got involved with the Brain Aneurysm Foundation because, quite frankly, as the journalist that I am, and, and as you said, you know, Google everything, you can get so much information. I was like, why did this happen to me? 
um, you know, does this happen to black people more than other people? You know, I just wanted to know. I felt I just I, I wanted to know. And the first when I did Google that something to that effect, like blacks and brain aneurysms, the first thing that came up was the Brain Aneurysm Foundation. And it came up because they're a tremendous resource for statistics, for um, resources, and for information about brain aneurysms. And that is where I learned that African Americans are twice as likely to have a ruptured brain aneurysm than whites, um, and that women are more likely than men to have them, and that people who are in their between 35 and 65 are the most likely to suffer from one. And that if you have a family history of brain aneurysms, you're 25% more likely to have one yourself. So all of those statistics put me in the category of no surprise really that I actually did suffer this from this brain aneurysm. But it also made me realize how important it is for my family, and for, my, for, for people like me to understand about it and to make sure that there's more research being done. And so I support the Brain Aneurysm Foundation in fundraising as much as I can and speaking about um, aneurysms as much as I can and have created a chair of research, um, the Sharon Epperson Chair of Research that gives an annual grant to researchers every year. We've done it for three years in a row um, to help kind of talk about what's, you know, have re help, help researchers come up with strategies, solutions, and eventually, I hope, a cure for ruptured brain aneurysms. So um, it's, it's an organization that is very near and dear to my heart, um, but, it, but it also, it again, highlights the importance of just understanding about your overall health, your physical, your mental, and your financial health, because all of those factors came together for me when I had my, my um, aneurysm rupture and, and my year-long recovery um, gave me a lot of time to think and figure out how to be the best person that I could be going forward. Um, and incorporating this type of work um, is really important to, to who I am today and who I am going forward. You do such a great job of making the connection between our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and even our financial health. To add on to what you said before, I also think it's important to identify all the stressors in our lives and to treat them as the impediments to good health that they are. I know we've talked about taking a step back and slowing down in our personal conversations, but I want you to tell us what can we do to live a happy, healthy, and stress-free life while we seek out opportunities to make a good living? Breathe, <laughs> just breathe. You know, we, we go all the time. We go because we have to be twice as good. Um, I'm speaking to my black women friends out there. You know, we go because we have to um, work twice as hard. All of these things that we're told we have to do, we have to live. We have to be here for our family, for our loved ones, for our community, for our society. And we have to take a moment to just breathe, to get off of that treadmill um, and, and, and actually take a moment and just stop and be present. Um, and I think that I did not take enough time to do that. I was definitely trying to do as much as I could in my career and as a mother, um, you know, to make sure that I was providing as much as I could for my family and making sure that I was um, excelling in my career to the best of my ability. And then everything came to a full stop. So I didn't have a choice but to treasure every breath because I almost wasn't able to do that anymore. So I would urge people in the middle of this pandemic 
when there are so many stressors that we haven't even talked about that are even more severe because we're in such an unusual, challenging, trying time that take a moment, take a moment every hour, take a moment as often as you can to just be still and to breathe. That's the first step. The other step is to, if you can, walk, you know, or exercise or do something, you know, that allows you to kind of move your body and, and clear your head. And, and for me, I'm, I'm now in this pandemic and I, and I started it before, but I take a daily walk, you know, um, it really is very helpful. Sometimes, you know, I'm talking on the phone, sometimes I'm listening to music and sometimes again, I'm just there. I'm just absorbing what's outside and what, what's going on. Um, and, and then I try to have, uh, I try to keep a calendar of how I'm going to work. So not just, you know, a calendar of where your appointments are, but when am I going to close my laptop? And when am I going to open my laptop? When am I going to check email and not check email? And this is something that actually Dr. Charles shared with, with myself and my colleagues when he was speaking to us months ago, maybe even years ago, a couple years ago now, about not checking your email. We're journalists. We're 24-7. We want to bring you the news all the time, but we're also people, and we need to live healthy lives, and, the, and it's a healthier life when you're not checking your email at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, being, getting an email and feeling that you have to answer it um, at five o'clock in the morning. So um, when you can kind of set for yourself so that you still keep your job and that you're still doing the work that you have to do, but set those kind of parameters for yourself on when you're going to be available for that kind of, for that kind of work. Because the, and also set parameters for when you're going to do your work, which is when are you going to exercise? When are you going to make sure that you get your, you know, the meals in, the small meals you need all, you know, throughout the day or however you're, you know, keeping with, you know, a, a well-balanced nutritional plan for yourself. All these different things, you kind of have to schedule them because otherwise we can kind of, we, we just keep going. We just keep going. And I think that we have to just make sure that we're working smartly and that, um, and, that we're at the, and that we're living healthy lives as, as best we can. And those are the changes that I've made. Thank you, Sharon. We certainly needed those words of wisdom. My synopsis of today's gems are slow down, breathe, eat right, appreciate life, and save wisely. Thank you so much again. You are certainly welcome to come back anytime. Thank you again for having me. And thank you all for listening. We certainly can't do this show without you. Stay safe, wear a mask. And I look forward to our next conversation. See you then. Don't know about what you've been through. Nothing compares to what we had. All I know is I need you back. And I know that you need me back. Maybe let's try again to find our love home. I was hoping we could find a way. To have what we had again today. Again today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.